0: It's parachutes Wednesday, November 28, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and we're two days into the annual ACC Big Ten Challenge. It's tied 4-4 with six games left, and the two biggies on Tuesday night is Louisville beating Michigan State, 82-78 in overtime, and Duke destroying Indiana, 90 69 after being up 53-29 at the break. So let's just start there, and let's take those in order. Louisville 82, Michigan 78 in overtime. Second straight OT game for Louisville. Chris Max. first signature win as the Cardinals And Joshua Langford doesn't appear to know the rules of basketball, does he, Norlander? Josh, you got to hit the
1: rim. <laughs> amazing, amazing moment. Listen, Izzo, Izzo might be the best cutaway coach in college basketball history always animated eyes going every which way you never know what shade his face is going to be and while most of it's always well-intentioned Izzo is actually the rare coach in my opinion that can pull off being pissed off but you know it's coming from a genuinely relatively good space. Like he, Izzo doesn't come off as like a complete madman, lunatic, off his rocker, what's wrong with that guy? Maybe it's because he's had so much success. Maybe, frankly, it's because he re, you know he has a pretty good relationship with the media. And when he's not caught up in those moments, like he's relatively well composed. But it is, uh, it is always incredible to see Izzo in the midst of a game losing his mind in some ways. And Josh Langford, you tweeted, I don't get how someone does this and not know the rules. It's not like he's even a freshman as if that would even be acceptable, Parrish. I knew this rule when I was 15, okay, coming off of CYO hoops, how you get to be a junior in college and not realize that when you're trying to intentionally miss a foul shot, you must hit the rim. That was a dart right above the the top of the square. It was uh, was incredible. But uh, regardless, a really, really good win for Louisville, GP. Like, really good. They're in the midst of the toughest non-conference stretch of Chris Mack's career. Uh, That is, according to Chris Mack, what he told me uh, the other day, which is just – it was really beneficial. I don't know if Louisville's going to make the tournament or not, but this is a big-time win for Michigan State – you know, it, it should have had it. There was Kenny Goins, who uh, had, like, 18 rebounds and, like, no points. It was, like, one of the seven times ever that's happened in college basketball history. It's it's insane that that even happened. But he had a critical turnover near the end of regulation when Michigan State was up one. That even gets it to overtime, and then Louisville takes over. Um, it's just one of those where, like, if you're a Michigan State fan, like, you you had it. You know you had it. You should have won the game. You didn't. And while overall, like, you played a tough schedule – You could argue – you could make the argument that the two toughest games you've played – maybe not the two best teams because Texas could wind up being better than Louisville, but the two toughest games you've played were – Kansas on a neutral, and then at Louisville, which was the first road game, you lost both. You lost them by an average of 4.5 points, so you're 5-2. and two. It's not terrible, but you just wish you would have had one of those, and I think Michigan State should have won. Louisville instead gets the win, and uh, which is key for the ACC Big Ten because I think they're both split now. I think it's four wins apiece for both the conferences. But anyway, entertaining game over time. Actually bled into Duke, Indiana, GP, and uh, that was a, a very nice appetizer to what we thought was going to be a good game, and obviously wasn't, but we'll get to that in a minute.
0: I don't even think you have to have played basketball to know that you can't just throw a fastball off the backboard and go grab it without it hitting the rim. Like I played exactly one season of basketball my entire life. I think I was like 11. And yet, you know, just from watching basketball, because you see that so often where a, you know, a team's going to have to intentionally miss a free throw, you know, with four seconds to go. To try to get the rebound and and then put it back in or kick it out depending on the score and and launch a three pointer at the buzzer. It's 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 the whole you know and it, it's it's much more prevalent now to be in those situations in the foul up three era of college basketball, and so we get these moments all the time. And sometimes you know it, it goes as planned, um, but but often somebody is trying to actually trying to hit the rim and they just miss it. You know, they just, they just miss it. And, you know, boom, whistle blows and the announcer explains, well, you know, the ball's got to hit the rim. He was trying to hit the rim. Didn't hit the rim. Like, even if you have never played basketball, you would think you would pick that up somewhere. You have just seen it somewhere. Like I've seen it everywhere. And yet there's no evidence Josh Lank- Lankford had ever picked that up. And I know that he said afterward that he, he knows he has to hit the rim. He was trying to hit the rim. He just missed, but Go back and watch it. That dude wasn't trying to hit a rim. And if 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 he was, then, you know, it, it didn't look like it to me. Didn't look like it to you. Didn't look like it to Tom Izzo. Didn't look like it to anybody else. It just looked like he really had no grasp of, of what was required in that moment, which, again, just – baffling not the biggest deal in the world because it was probably going to result in an L no matter what that is a um, uh, 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 to to do what Michigan State was going to try to do there which is hit the rim offensive rebound kick out three pointer force double ot very very unlikely so it's not the biggest deal in the world but it was uh it was hard not to notice and hard not to chuckle.
1: I will say this, and I don't know, I don't remember anyone ever writing about this, talking about it. I'm sure it has been, but this is something I've thought about for a while, and I wonder why it doesn't happen. So in football, punters have gotten uh, better at specifically punting into coffin corner like they, they've worked on that even basketball players gp it's now part a commonplace in most practices to end practice where uh like a layup line everyone just practices half court shots because you never know when you're going to get one you might as well just have the muscle memory to give yourself a halfway better chance right why don't now this is <laughs> this is goes against what you practice in terms of you want to make shots when you take them but in the instance where you find yourself where Michigan State and Langford were, why don't you practice shooting a rainbow free throw to give yourself the best wildest carom off the rim? Because obviously, when you're when you're going for the offensive rebound, the offense doesn't have the positioning on the blocks, so you need to have a better, more unpredictable carom, almost like an onside kick, right? So why not shoot it higher? Whenever you see players trying intentionally miss, it's almost like this straight line driver, or it's just awkwardly at an angle. It's never it never gives it. A um, more height and therefore, frankly, more velocity coming down and a greater chance that it's just going to pop off either at, back at the shooter or just go high, where you, if you have a good offensive rebounder, they've got a better chance. I can't recall many, if any, times where you've seen a free throw shooter like truly try and drop a big-time rainbow and give yourself a chance. I don't know why coaches don't practice that. To me, I would think that would be useful, even if it only happens once or twice in a season. To me, you're more likely to get the board that way than just throwing it straight at the rim, which almost never works.
0: I'd be interested to hear some coaches' thoughts on this, but my my guess would be the explanation would be that you want to throw it hard off the rim and have it take, a, take an unusual – make every player on the court deal with something that they don't deal with at any other moment in the game. You know, like not a ball just coming off the rim, but a ball like flying off of the rim and, and, and in, an, in, in a somewhat unpredictable way because – the you know the less predictable the carom is, I guess in theory the better chance mm-hmm. anybody has to get it as opposed to if it's just a traditional free throw miss off the rim you know the 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 defense is always going to have an advantage based on positioning for the free throw um but but the the issue with that becomes and I, I again Langford wasn't trying to hit the rim last night but what Langford did last night happens all the time which is guys try to throw it really hard off the rim and they just miss it because it's not something they, they normally do. And so um, I, I'd be I'd be open to hearing other philosophies on this. Like maybe let's stop trying to throw the ball hard at the rim because if there's – like maybe there's a – I don't know what the numbers would say on this, but I don't even know where you'd find them. But like <laughs> how, how often does a guy, when he's trying to throw it hard off the rim, like basically a two-hand chest pass off the rim – how often does he miss the rim? Is it 20% of the time? Because because I, I see we see it often, right. And so if if you can cut down on the likelihood of you just missing the rim altogether, maybe a, a different approach is uh, is worth it. Either way, uh, Louisville um, you know was on a two game losing streak with Tennessee and then the OT lost to Marquette. Got a road game with Seton Hall coming up next. Um, so they were at risk of being on a four game losing streak after that game. Now they have a chance to go two and two. Against a four-game stretch of Tennessee, Marquette, Michigan State, Seton Hall, I think that's pretty good. If you're Chris Mack and you can, well, like right now, if you're Chris Mack, um, nothing less than two and two is is what you want. But and and certainly going into it, I think you probably wanted something better than two and two. But like two and two in that four-game stretch. I think if you get that one this weekend at Seton Hall, you feel pretty good about things.
1: Yeah, you got to get it, though. I mean, Seton Hall did look uh, fairly decent when it beat Miami. That was the last of the of the Thanksgiving week multi-team events. The tournament setting uh, came late on Sunday night. I was actually like, feeding my, my baby and watching the game, so I actually caught Seton Hall, which is looking good. Miles Powell is playing pretty well overall, so that's going to be a, a tricky test there. That's on Saturday. Um, if they can get it, great, because they should have had the Marquette win and Dockett said it on the broadcast last night. He said, you know, the officiating was terrible. It was like Louisville. Marquette wasn't the beneficiary of a great whistle either, but more calls went against Louisville that shouldn't uh, in that game than against Marquette. And you could easily make the call that Louisville should have won that game and it didn't. But if you can get out of there, get tuned to. It's a big time thing. Um, Big picture on Louisville real quick is just that, like, the like Mac took the job, took the millions, like, you know, no sympathy for him for, for any of this. But just the, the circumstances under which he took the job, the players, a lot of which was out of their control, period, that they've been involved in. Um, and then th- he inherited most of the schedule. Like, I think he scheduled one or two of the bye games they had, but everything else was already lined up for Louisville to have. Uh, so it's not easy to take a top 10 gig to begin with, GP, as you well know, but to take it under the circumstances you took it, which you took it, like it's your choice, but just the reality of that, the schedule you get, and now with with a lot of the players that are just being put into new roles, if Louisville can come out of this season and win, frankly, in my opinion, if it can win 18 or 19 games, and even if that's just short of the tournament, like that overall big picture, that's that's a good outing for Chris Mack in his first year with Louisville, so just, I think Cardinals fans have a lot of patience, they're happy just to have Mack and to get a win like this, but I think there are going to be more bumps coming. Um, I think behind the scenes, what what he and the, that team is is you know going up against and just trying to get through. They've got a good recruiting class coming through. I think it's a lot harder than some people realize. And if you can uh, be above 500 with this group, that's going to be a victory in year one. And I think ultimately they will be. But I'm still not sold that this is an NCAA tournament team.
0: Yeah, I'm not either. But it is going to be a respectable team that that's going to beat people in the U.M. Center. I mean that that you know you put twenty thousand whatever it holds it might be in excess of twenty thousand but it, you, it is a real home court advantage and you saw that last night against Michigan State and if they can handle a consensus top ten team in that building then they can probably make a run be competitive and actually beat pretty much anybody in in, in the country that's going to come in there and so that alone gives you a shot if you're an ACC team. To, to, to build an at-large resume because you're gonna have you're gonna have wins like that Michigan State wins gonna look good on selection Sunday and they already got that one in the back pocket they'll get more that are similar to that and um, it, it means that I don't know if year one of Chris Mack is going to be great but it, it, it's gonna be respectable and when you can be respectable in year one given everything that program's gone through and you got a top five recruiting class on the way featuring five top 100 guys, particularly when the ncaa cloud like it's not gone you know it it is possible if not probable that louisville is going to have to deal with more ncaa sanctions going forward but it has not the reality of that possibility of that hasn't hindered recruiting in any noticeable way so you've got a, a respectable basketball team right now you've got the coach you want and you got a top five recruiting class on the way that's all uh that's all good stuff i um, I, I think Lua fans are, are pretty pleased with with everything um, as it sits right now on November 28th. Meantime, after that game was over, and it was over um, after Duke and Indiana tipped, so uh, unless you were sc- uh, channel scrambling, you might have missed the opening minutes, but Duke just absolutely murdered Indiana. They were at 53-29 at the break. up 90, uh, They ended up winning at 90-69. They cruised in most of the second half which had Mike Krzyzewski actually fired up on, on the sideline. The cameras caught him. Like, he was – through his jacket. No, no, like, hold Yo.
1: on, hold on, Paris. Well, yeah, let's let... – <laughs> amazing shot. Like – hold on let's just walk through if if you can somehow catch the highlights of this he takes his jacket off but it's a wind up right GP it is a (laughs) wind up and like if you're the student manager like is he the designated jacket catcher like what's going through Shashevsky's mind like how many times has he done this like he just knows you know you're the damn man in the damn building when you're when you're going through it slowly like okay here we go you know what I'm pissed right now and it's just like I'm trying to keep my composure and then uh, I'm going to huck this jacket right at you. Just one of those it was uh it was just it was it was funny. The the roles of all the Duke managers from the guys that that scramble on the floor and out to the locker room as soon as the halftime comes is just it's it's incredible the uh the entire operation they got going there and just to have the designated jacket catcher. I, you know what shouts to that guy cuz to me that was the highlight of the Duke Indiana
0: game. The uh, first on the manager sprinting at halftime. I mean, it's like like I saw him three times straight in Maui. It is a full on buzzer sounds for the half, and they sprint like they're in the freaking Olympics. That's right. I mean, it, like 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 it's like as if Usain Bolt is chasing them. They are sprinting like that. And listen, I'm not gonna tell Duke how to run its program, but you will never convince me that that's necessary. <laughs> Like why did those why did those why those guys at the run like that? I mean it, it can't possibly be necessary, can it? <laughs> Give me one reason it could be necessary for them to sprint as fast <laughs> as they possibly could to the locker room. I could not even
1: think to dream up a reason in this moment GP, but it is uh it is just one of those little flavors that just brings more to college hoops because it's it's completely ridiculous but so funny every
0: single time it's not only ridiculous it looks ridiculous like there are some things that go on within a basketball program that are probably ridiculous but you don't see them they're not visible like three little white dudes just sprinting to the locker room the second the buzzer sounds is ridiculous and it it looks ridiculous Uh, but either way back to the jacket throw it was just a teaching moment there i think not to suggest that it was um uh, exaggerated or um, or faked. K was clearly pissed, but the lesson there is is like, yo, we're gonna be in a lot of these games yeah. where we're up big on people. I mean, Indiana is like a top twenty-five king pong team, and they and and completely overwhelmed. Never had a shot in that game. I mean, Duke could have beat them by forty if Duke wanted to beat them by forty. And you know, I think the the message from K was, we're gonna be in a lot of these games where we are up twenty five, thirty points on people. It doesn't mean we stop playing. It doesn't mean we stop executing. And Zion Williamson talked about it afterward. He said I uh he said yeah he was he was he was upset with us and he said I don't know how he does it because it doesn't matter whether we're up forty, down forty. He is the same way every single possession and that's not unlike Nick Saban Mm -hmm. who famously is furious with his football team even when they're up seven touchdowns if they don't execute one single thing properly and maybe that's a a, you know a common thread between two of the greatest if not the two greatest you know college football college basketball coaches of all time they expect execution proper execution regardless of what the scoreboard says and it, it seemed like Kay was trying to remind his very young team of that last night.
1: Yeah, only maybe a diehard Alabama fan would know this, but I feel like I was watching a national championship game in the past two, three, or four years, and and Bama had it clinched. Um, If it wasn't the title game, maybe it was in the uh, the semifinals, and there's like two, three minutes to go or whatever, and just the game's in hand. And Saban is like losing it on the sidelines, like losing it. And you're like two minutes away from winning another title. Um, but that goes into the, the methodology, philosophy. Uh, you know, you put yourself out for some criticism there. Uh, but in general, what, uh, what Kay does, I agree with you, Parrish, is similar to what Saban does. As for the game overall, um, not too many takeaways. It was actually the best dunking game of Zion's career so far. So if we're going to be focusing on what Zion Williamson does uh, and just microanalyzing it, that was his uh, biggest performance to date uh, in terms of slamming it down, which is just – frankly, uh, continually wowing and all that. R.J. Barrett played decently. And then Krzyzewski had mentioned, uh, well, a couple of things happened with the crowd here. And I guess just the general fan reaction to Duke overall. One, um, you had the Indian fans chanting overrated at Romeo Langford, which is fine. Kay was like, shut up, shut up. Don't, you know, stop saying that. Which, you know what? Kay, he's totally in his right to do that. And the fans are totally in their right to try and be opposing fans and try and get in Romeo's head overall. Um, and then Krzyzewski spoke about, some of the criticism pointed toward RJ Barrett's way in wake of Duke losing uh, to Gonzaga and Maui and him going over 5 in the final minute i would say like yeah sjeshski should defend his player and rj barrett like i'm still i'm still on the rj barrett is the best player on duke train by the way like mock drafts, zion williamson's moving into that number 1 spot i maybe maybe i switch and get off that but i'm still more barrett just a little bit than zion overall um but it's okay if we want to point out the fact that RJ Barrett just tends to get a little bit of tunnel vision and has to work on some of his distribution game. So K can fight back on that totally within his right um, and has some valid points. But Barrett's a really good player, but it's okay to point out just like, okay, here's where he's stepping in as a freshman, having a few issues overall. That happens with freshmen across the country. It just so happens to be that this Duke team is getting as much attention, if not more, than any college basketball team of the past half decade, essentially. And so that these these kind of commentaries are inevitable. Uh, so I wasn't surprised to hear hear that from Krzyzewski, but it's not going to slow just because he says something like that. There's going to be a hyper focus on all of these dudes after every single game.
0: The Alabama thing you referenced, it was the January 2013 National Championship game. It was Barrett Jones, the center for Alabama, my big homie from Memphis, and uh, A.J. McCarron getting into it. Alabama's up 42-14, like seven minutes to play, and the the play clock is running down. McCarron's begging for the ball, Barrett Jones is still calling out blocking assignments and they end up getting a delay of game. And AJ like it's like, 42-14 national championship game there was 7 minutes to go. It's over. And McCarron turns around starts yelling at jump Barrett and then Barrett pushes him. I mean it was intense like hmm. as if the game is as if, as if the game was tied and this just cost them something of significance and and in reality, the game was 42-14. They could have taken five more delay-a-game penalties. It didn't matter. And yet, that's a trickle-down from Nick Saban. And I, I, I would assume, I don't know that Saban's ever talked about this. Maybe he has. I would assume Nick Saban would tell you that was his favorite moment from the national championship game because it was an example of exactly what he teaches and preaches, which is the scoreboard does not matter. We execute properly every play. And and then we'll figure out the scoreboard at the end. If we're up forty, down forty, you execute the same way with the same intensity every play, and that seemed like what Kay was trying to instill in, you know, his his group of nineteen year olds, uh, in the second half against Indiana. As for RJ Barrett, um, there is no question that, as you put it, he got tunnel vision in Maui. You know, he was it was just like, you know, give me the ball, top of the key. Now I'm going to go try to make a play. And it obviously didn't work out. But I don't mind that mindset. I, 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 I like a guy like that more than, more than the alternative. Like, here you got your – you, you, you're a player on the number one team in the country. Um, you're on national television, wild environment, big audience. Um, you're at risk of taking your first loss of the season. It would be an upset loss. And, like, you got a freshman who wants the ball every time. I don't know that that self is as much as it's confidence. And it might also be a byproduct of the fact that he is always, for the first time in his life, he's not the far and away best player on his team. He might still be the best player on his team, but he's got, you know, other pro teammates, other great players that surround him. And he's just, I, 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 I don't think ever had anything like this before. And so his mindset in these types of situations, final minute, close game, let me go. Because he is an incredible um, ISO scorer. Um, it, 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 you know, his mindset has always been all right, well, this is, you know, you go back and watch the Team Canada USA basketball stuff when he beat John Calipari's Team USA. It was a lot of the same stuff. Like, I'm going to, you know, I don't know that Canada beat USA. Uh, RJ Barrett did. He just, like, they couldn't do anything with him. And so when that's always been your mindset, it doesn't bother me when maybe you haven't broken out of that just a few weeks into the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... And to be fair, you know this is no longer, uh, you know, kids not in college, uh, you you know, or eighteen-year-olds. Essentially, that RJ Barrett's going like he's going against, you know high quality college coaches and, and legit college teams so a lot of what made him successful there it will continue to make him successful but it's the, the formula is not going to work every single time I'm mostly with you although I would say like you know Carmelo Anthony has has gotten to Hall of Fame status but also damaged his reputation on being uh okay me I got this ISO like clear clear the F out of the way I'm gonna get this done so and I'm not saying Rj Barrett's gonna be Carmelo Anthony or anything like that but uh, but it's just like if if Zion Williamson is open like you need to get him with the ball in the paint like he's just he's going to be shooting a above 70% when he has a field goal attempt inside the paint this season. It is going to be an inevitability. If he winds up between 50 and 65% overall, it's going to be because of the shots he takes outside the paint, drop his percentage. So that's just something to keep an eye on. Um, but overall, like the game, whatever. Like Duke just romped. Indiana's not in Duke's class right now. That's fine. Uh, you, you take your lumps. You go home if you're IU. Hope you can rebound in, in December. And you just weren't ready for that game. I, I have no major or minor takeaways on IU overall. Uh, that's just, you know what, within a month, that'll probably be distant history.
0: Zion Williamson finished with 25.6 rebounds, four assists, two steals, two blocks, becomes just the fourth Duke player in history to have at least 25 points, four rebounds, four assists, one block, and one steal in the same game. It's pretty incredible stuff. And I thought um, this quote from Mike post game was interesting. He said, quote, after the trip, meaning after the trip to Maui, we've done some things to get him the ball more. So it's clear you and I and others were thinking along the same lines as Coach K that Zion only attempting, on average, 12.5 shots per game was was just not enough. He only had eight against Auburn and Maui. And so, like, by K's own acknowledgement, they deliberately did things against Indiana to get Zion more touches. The result was an 11 of 15 night, six dunks. His effective field goal percentage is now 66.7. And so it does appear that the shot discrepancy between R.J. and Zion, and, and R.J. still took more last night, 18. He was 9 of 18. Zion was 11 of 15. But that gap that we mm. thought probably needed to close, it looks like the Duke staff is is going to intentionally try to close it.
1: Yeah, I think we'll see more of that in the uh, in the coming in the coming games with Duke. Overall, um, it was noticeable last night, and, and a big sign. Duke is going to float off the radar just a little bit as much as Duke possibly can, just for people that are wondering what's upcoming. They have home games against Stetson on Saturday, next Wednesday against Hartford, uh, home against Yale, and then home against Princeton. The next game of of real note doesn't come until December twentieth. Um, they will play Texas Tech at Madison Square Garden. I would actually be at. That game, if not for the fact that we will be traveling to Chicago on that day for the CBS Sports Classic. So, um, I say all that to say, to to quote GP, um, the numbers for the freshmen just might be ridiculous over the next four games, unless we have garbage time, to which the point it's so bad that, you know. I keep calling them Tyus, <laughs> Trey Jones, and Zion, and Cam Reddish, who needs to get right, by the way, and um, and Barrett. Uh, they just they're just not in the game long enough to put up huge numbers. But uh, Duke is right now uh, at six and one. They're it is a virtual certainty they are going to be ten and one when they face Texas Tech on December twentieth.
0: So it was overshadowed by the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but it was a game we had discussed in the preseason. Happened Tuesday night as well. Nevada at Loyola Chicago, and Nevada could not have been more impressive. Opened 29-9, up 44-28 at half, Win 79-65. I don't know how much of the game you saw, but I, I had it on, like— I watched all uh, of it. Yeah, so I had it on one of the other TVs, and um, they were never threatened. Just in hostile environment against a not-great— but okay, really, maybe not even good. like a borderline top 75 team. but either way, on the road in a hostile environment, again, you know sister Jean's there for crying out loud, and they were never threatened, just controlled it basically from tip to buzzer, and that's what uh, a true national championship contender is supposed to do to a to a borderline top 75 team on the road. you're supposed to go in there and, and handle them and they beat their brains in from like I said. From from the opening minute, pretty much to the closing minute. Um, Loyola is now four
1: and three. It lost two non-conference games all of last season. Uh, it's lost two games at home this season. It didn't lose any at home last season. This is not a huge surprise. We've talked about this. We don't really need to rehash this, but just, you know, the 4-3. and three, Now they've got a game against USC on Saturday. That's not an automatic. Um, this is what happens when you are a mid-major program and lose three important players. That's why we didn't have them in the t- preseason top 25, whereas other people thought they clearly should have been. Just didn't think they projected as a top 25 team or let alone a top 50 team. And so here we are. Um, is what it is. Hopefully they – listen, I'd love Loyola to, to be really awesome in the Missouri Valley and give us something to talk about again. Let's just – wait and see but uh, but they've got a lot of road to pave at this point Nevada Nevada 7-0 and and it is one of four teams that has won all its games by double digits trivia time parish can you okay. can you name me the other three teams that have done this
0: the other three teams that have won every game by double digits
1: yes they're undefeated and have won every three game, all three games by double digits
0: Is one of them...
1: One of them has been mentioned on this podcast already.
0: One of them, Michigan. Correct. Mm, One of them is... Texas Tech. Correct. And then it's three. It's Nevada. Is that what you said? There's a fourth. Fourth, okay. Hmm...
1: Kansas state. No. The but you are you're not in the right state, but you're in the right general region of the country. Okay.
0: Um, Kansas state is not it. I'm looking now Kansas state won a game by 8 points. It screws them up. Um it, Is it Iowa? It is, it it is it is not Iowa. Uh, it is barely. They just barely beat Pitt. By the way, Jeff Capel's got that Pitt team playing well. Yeah,
1: no, definitely. I mean, they they're they're looking good. They're looking fun. It is a drastic change in one in just in less than a year, undoubtedly.
0: I don't know the other one. I don't want to keep sitting here sounding like maybe <laughs> It's fine.
1: I like when we can uh change the uh change the chairs at the table and get you on the opposite end of some trivia time. The fourth team. It's Kelvin Sampson's Houston Cougars, who are 4-0, have a game Wednesday night against UT Rio Grande Valley. Uh, If they win that, they'll be obviously 5-0, and I think they've got a good shot at winning by double digits. So those are your four teams that are not only undefeated, but uh, have not even made it interesting. Nevada looks damn intriguing at this point. And in the court report today, my weekly Wednesday insider goodie bag column, whatever you want to call it, I've got a whole bunch of stuff in there. And among those things is I had a reader question, who's going to be the last unbeaten team? And I ran through some nominees, and Texas Tech and Michigan and Nevada are in there. Nevada is actually not my answer, Parrish. Um, my answer is Virginia. Uh, if Virginia wins at Maryland on Wednesday night, we were recording this in advance of that. It is actually a, it is a tricky one. Maryland's undefeated. Uh, you've got actually ACC teams, North Carolina, Michigan, Virginia at Maryland, Syracuse at Ohio State. The ACC has got some uh, some tough ones, and then the only one where it's reverse and it's the Big Ten on the road is Purdue at Florida State. But those are four really, really good games on Wednesday night, and it should be a, a really fun night of hoops. I think it'll be better than Tuesday. Anyway, I digress. On Nevada, I did not pick them to outlast Virginia as the most likely... Final undefeated team because they have USC on the road on Saturday. They get Arizona State in what uh, LA uh, the Friday after that. Um, so I just think that they're gonna maybe get picked off in one of those two games. If they don't, they are my and they still have Utah at the end of the month. That was the other one. So I just I think they're gonna have an undefeated team get to January. But asking Nevada to go 3-0 and against USC, Arizona State, and at Utah, two of those being on the road and one being on a neutral, I just don't find them to be the most likely. I think you disagree with me, though. I feel like you think Nevada's got the best chance of, uh, of outlasting the rest of the field and being the last one that's standing without a loss.
0: I do disagree with you. I would, If you ask me that same question, who's going to be the last undefeated team, I would say Nevada. I think it's more likely that Virginia loses at Maryland than Nevada loses – at any of the games you referenced, at USC, Arizona State on a neutral, you know Maryland is. I don't know if they're ranked in the top twenty-five. They're 24th, I, I believe. They are, yeah. but yeah, I've had them in the top twenty-five and one since the preseason. They've got a they've got a pro front court in Bruno Fernando and and uh, in, in Jalen Smith, and so you you combine that with Anthony Cowan, who is a flawed but still productive guard. Um, I like that Maryland team. And, you know, home court advantage for Maryland is is a real home court advantage. So I, I don't know that Virginia's going to take its first loss there, but uh, I, I, it wouldn't be shocking if, if they did. And I, I do think it's more likely Virginia loses at Maryland than Nevada loses this weekend at, uh, at USC. Either way, um, you know, I'll, I'll bottom line it like this Nevada looks like, you know, it, it, I think the popular thing to say is, ooh, they could go to the final, they could win the whole thing. I mean, They they, they yes. look looked the part. And Loyola Chicago, as we've discussed many times, they look like what we thought they would look like, which is a team that, despite the Final Four run last season, uh, did not finish in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Uh, they were never really, according to the computers, a top 25 team. And they lost three of their top six scores, including their best rebounder and the guy who made more three-pointers than anybody else on the roster. Um, that's what they look like, a, a, a not top 25 team that lost three of its top six scores and is still trying to figure some things out. It won't prevent them necessarily from um, doing well in conference play, but, but, but it's already become pretty apparent. They weren't, they weren't equipped to handle uh, the early part of this non-league schedule. Um, Darius Garland. It was announced yesterday by Vanderbilt. um, The worst news possible, I guess, not the worst news possible. The worst news possible could have been like a, you know, he's, he's, his leg is, is now comparable to the UFC quarterback's leg. But it is a torn meniscus that had to be surgically repaired in New York. And Bryce Drew says he's he's done for the season. Ends up playing just five games. He's averaging 16.2 points. Shooting 53.7% from the field. 47.8% for three-point range. He was awesome. He's also a projected lottery pick. Let me ask you this. Do you think this? Because I really do think it could cut both ways. Do you think it makes it more likely, this injury, or less likely that he returns to Vanderbilt for his sophomore season, because the argument would be um, would go like this for for either direction. God, you you know it's your hometown school. You, you always wanted to play there, and then it gets ripped away from you, unfortunately, before December first even hits. You don't want that to be the entirety of your college career. So come back, have a real memorable season at your hometown school, and then bounce to the NBA. That's one argument, and I could listen to that. The other one is don't be stupid. You've already suffered one new injury. Go get go get your money before you possibly suffer another one and now you're, you know, slipping into the you know, outside of the lottery like, like Harry Giles with multiple knee surgeries did. what do you think's most likely for Darius Garland?
1: The latter. Um because with the injury let's 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 see how uh his his repair goes here and his rehab I should say. It wouldn't stun me it would not stun me gp if we had a michael porter junior situation here and by that i means he rehabs the knee is good it's 100% right on the precipice of the tournament I don't think Vandy can get there. That's the problem. Like, Missouri was in the tournament last season, and then Porter was like, yeah, I'm going to play. He played that one game in the SEC tournament, and then, you know, it was just like a comment. Like, Missouri was in and out of the big dance, and they played as Virginia lost to UMBC. So it's, like, completely lost to the ether forever. Michael Porter Jr.'s history uh, as an
0: NCAA tournament participant. Um, But if Garland... By the way, like, this is why I wrote is expected. Even though Bryce said he's out for the season... I wrote is expected to miss the season because the season ain't over for another four months yes and I, I I don't know the specifics with Darius's injury all meniscus tears are not the same but four months is not usually what it takes to come back for a basketball player from a meniscus tear
1: absolutely so if Vanderbilt's actually in a position maybe heading into the SEC let's let's just say you know Vandy is in a position where it's it's debated or recognized that you know what if they get two wins in this thing it's gonna be hard to keep them out and Garland's 100%. Why would he not play? I mean, you know why he wouldn't, but if if he really wants to and you know Bryce told me this kid is broken up big time about this. Loves to play, wants to play. Um it, you know, it, it just can't believe that this has been taken from him. Um then yeah, it'd be great to see him back on the floor. Uh but I think it's more likely that he doesn't return because if his knee is good, And the medicals check out and the pre-draft process goes the way that it goes. He's going to set up almost certainly as a top two point guard prospect in this draft. There's no guarantee that it would be the same next year and next season's draft and for the 2020 gig. And with that, you've already taken on the injury. If you can tell Garland that he's almost certainly going to be a top 15 pick, hard to see him. Uh, passing on that overall for as much as, you know what, he was hometown kid, picked that school, biggest recruit in that school's history. And I do believe, personally, like I, I think that this injury means Vanderbilt cannot make the NCAA tournament. Maybe something goes crazy, they play well, and they're able to overcome it. But I think Garland was that important and that big of a player that this actually dooms their NCAA tournament chances. But if I am wrong, and we get to March 3rd, March 4th, March 5th, Vanderbilt is one or two good wins away from it, and Garland has... has is all the way on the mend and wants to play That changes things and that would be an awesome story
0: I had you know Nobody's asking my advice and But like if it were my child I would my son um, I would We would enter the draft I, I At least I, I, well I would, I would Allow my son to make the decision but I would make Sure he understood like Are we sure we want to do something for Quote unquote free that we can do for millions Like who else in the world does That you know except for college basketball players sometimes why you want to do something for a scholarship and cost of attendance stipend when you can do it for millions and so and and particularly when you have already suffered one knee injury Uh, so my advice would be go get your money be a you're always going to be a professional basketball player your dream is to be a professional basketball player it's right in front of you you can do it you'll be a multi-millionaire go do it but if he really just wanted to come back to college because I don't want my college career to be that, five games. Um, the way you start talking yourself into it then is um, you, you can't put a value on just like having that if that's what you desire. I've told the story before about Marcus Smart, you know, telling me the reason he came back to school was he liked being in college, liked being the best player on a very good team, liked living with his roommates. It was all just very normal life stuff. like. Uh, the money's always going to be there for me, I think, and yet this won't. And so I wanted—I just wanted to live this life for one more year. And though that ran counter to every business thing I had ever thought about basketball players' decisions, it—it it really resonated with me. And I've—I've—I've I've, I've since then tried to be um, very hesitant to question somebody's decision to remain in school even when they're a projected lottery pick because what's important to me might not be what's important to them and I can respect that so if 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 that ends up being important to Darius I just don't want my college career to end after five games I want to I want to play a full season for my hometown school fine with me then if you're looking for reasons to 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 rationalize it you know that I think the 2020 draft is going to be weaker than the 2019 draft Like, there's no scenario where he jumps in front of – I shouldn't say no, but it's unlikely. 2019 draft, he's jumping in front of Zion, RJ, Cam, uh, Nasir Little. But, you know, those guys ain't in the 2020 draft. Like, even the player who's the consensus number one player in 2019, James Wiseman, he's a great prospect, but I don't know that Mm -hmm. he's a franchise changing number one pick in a draft the way – Zion Williamson might be or RJ Barrett might be. So my point being you could come back for a year to Vandy if you wanted to and be in a, 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 a presumably be in a weaker draft which might be advantageous. Although although again I'd probably advise just just go ahead and go. But but I could understand the uh, I could understand the other side of it. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah. No, uh th- there is there is a case to be made for both. I think that he will he will declare Vanderbilt by the way. Um, as of uh, Wednesday morning, 70th in the net rankings.
0: Well, this is definitely where I wanted to end. The NCAA released its net rankings uh, earlier this week <laughs> on Monday, to be exact, and it could not have gone more poorly. Ohio State was number one. Loyola Marymount was number 10. Kansas was 11. Kentucky was 61. D- just an th- absolute mess. And. I'm not going to have any strong opinions about the algorithm because I'm not smart enough to know if it's good or bad. But Nate Silver is someone who is perceived to be smart enough to know whether it's good or bad. And he thinks it's a disaster, said it's worse than the RPI and that it likely won't improve much as the season progresses. So that's got great news. All I'll say is this. It was nonsensical, dumb to voluntarily release these rankings on monday with so little data available so early in this season the ncaa wasn't obligated to do this nobody was really begging for it like i don't know why somebody in a decision making position didn't say we don't have to release these on november 26th anymore than we have to release them on december 26th or january 26th we're going to hold these because we believe in our we believe in our algorithm but it clearly looks ridiculous right now. So we're going to hold these till they don't look so ridiculous, till they look much much more reasonable. Because if we release rankings right now that have Ohio State 1, Loyola Marymount 10, one spot ahead of Kansas, all we're going to do is get mocked. Why would we voluntarily put ourselves in a position to get mocked and have people question and ridicule what it is we're doing? Let's just hold off until it looks right. Like literally every day just wake up and go, all right, what's it look like today? Mm, nah, still not there yet. Next day, what's it look like today? Nope, getting better, getting better, more data, getting better. But let's just hold off and okay, now this looks this looks pretty close to what you know. maybe it ought to be. Let's release the net for the first time. To release it on Monday the, with the way it looked, I, that was a terrible decision.
1: Yeah, let's. Uh, I'm going to try and keep the, this discussion focused on the release of this. Um, not get too much into the algorithm and the problems there, because frankly, we're going to talk about the net like throughout the season. We're going to get to that on future podcasts. I have criticisms of it in my news or on cbsports.com that lays out real problems with this and why I think it will get tweaked inevitably. Um, but as for the release, talk to Dan Gavitt. You know, uh, who who runs men's basketball for the NCAA? I dis- I'm with you, Parrish, and I disagree with him. His point is every year we put the RPI out the Monday after the Thanksgiving week tournaments ended. We kept with rhythm. We kept in pattern with that this season, and we didn't want to allow critics to say, hey, what are you doing? Where's the net? Why are we not seeing it? It's December 1st is here. I rebut that argument because you, me, Almost anyone else, if we got to a week from now, there might be like some curiosities like, oh, when's this thing going to get released? No one's going to write columns about it. No one's going to be going after the NCAA over not releasing the net at this point. That's my opinion.
0: I hadn't even thought about it. So when you say people, they didn't want criticism from people, what they mean is people like us. And I ain't even thought about it once. (laughs) I know.
1: So we are together. It's not a great look when you have the teams released in the manner they were. Now, it's also uh, it's also always going to be like that. The reason why uh, Pomeroy, even Sagarin, and we talked about Sagarin. It had Nebraska first in its rankings two weeks ago, and we thought that was a little bit goofy. Um when you have a small data set like if you had Pomeroy not factor in preseason into and projections into his rankings they would look ridiculous right now as well but the reason that they don't is it's it is a predictive metric this is not really predictive it's got it, it it's got predictive elements to it, but it is not seeking to accomplish the things that BPI and Ken Palm are seeking to accomplish. And so that's why you've got teams out of whack. Gavitt said, we knew this was going to happen. We knew there were going to be oddities, some head scratchers that were in these rankings. And um, he just, frankly, he doesn't give a damn about the criticism. Now, maybe he winds up being proven correct. And there's a, there's a few more notes here I want to get to, GP, before I, I lob it back to you. I do think and you tweeted something along these lines. I do think that when we get to the end of February and and we're dissecting this almost daily and I'm sure we'll be getting addressing on the podcast almost every single episode. The rankings will have a few outliers, which, frankly, they should. It would be boring and not a great thing if you had five or six rankings essentially have all teams within two to five spots of each other. Um, I don't know if that's really uh, a pragmatic outcome. But if we uh, if we get to that point and the rankings look just generally okay and there's just, well, this team's eighth and yet it's 18th in Ken Palm. Okay, great debates. I think we're going to get to that point. Um, but you've got to exhibit some sort of patience here. Gavit he he thinks it's great. Had this kind of discussion. He says, you know what, the NET, you know, it, it, it's showing up on uh, around the horn. It's getting debated on social media, It's showing up on first take and all this stuff where otherwise, you know what, we're heading into college football's championship weekend. The NFL is hitting its full stride. The NBA is obviously a daily story for one reason or another. And this is bringing college basketball more discussion than it otherwise would have. Now, most of it's negative, And there is some like, you know, me and others that, that are saying just be patient with it, but that is part of his argument. Any news is good news. I don't.
0: Tot- no, that's not true. It's so clear. Any news is good news is not true. You know what else would get you on first take? If um, if Zion Williamson took a dump at half court of a game. <laughs> okay. that, that wouldn't be good news. You know what else would get <laughs> you? Uh, that wouldn't. If Tom Izzo punched Josh Lankford in the neck last night. That would have got you on first take. It wouldn't have been good news. Here's another thing: get you on first take. If um, a Kansas player was charged with sexual assault tonight, that wouldn't be good news. The idea that when people say all news is good news, that is nonsensical.
1: Yeah, I know. I I, I hear you. Now there's there. It, there are many degrees separating us from sexual assault of a college basketball player to teams ranked one to three fifty-three officially endorsed by the NCAA, but I get your overall point it's there.
0: First take calling your new algorithm that you've worked so hard on and promoted, promoted, promoted stupid. That's not good for you. When Nate Silver is calling your algorithm, the worst ranking of teams he's ever seen in any sport. That's not good for you. That's insane. To think it's that. not,
1: but okay. Real quick on Nate. Um, Nate's being mocked by a lot of people that are really smart that 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 understand this as well. Like the, the RPI thing is just not it's just not true. Like that was an over the top hyperbolic reaction and frankly because Nate Silver has more than 3 million followers is generally pretty good at his job is a very smart guy when he says something like that is going to get a lot of traction and it's going to spread the message even further. It's going to put frankly it puts the net behind the eight ball in a big way. They're not the worst rankings ever. Nate was wrong. He overreacted. And Nate, by the way, at 538, had the Golden State Warriors at 4% to win the the championship last year when they were in the second round of the playoffs here. okay. So it's not like his evaluations and his metrics have been flawless as well. So it was bizarre. The The net should be criticized, absolutely. But I think, Parrish, you and I agree. Like We can go all in. And, and show the knuckles on this thing, if we get to February and there's still ridiculousness, if we still have Loyola Marymount as a top 30 team and it's fifth in the WCC, or Duke is ninth despite the fact that it's been chilling at number one in the polls in Pom for the past two months. If we get to that point, then let's go all in. We can point out that it was stupid to put it out at this time, but to completely just dismiss this thing at this point, to me, it just it's way too knee-jerky. I do have issues with some of parts of the algorithm. I don't want to get into the weeds on that. We can address that further down the road. But this idea that we just have to kill the NCAA immediately because of this, uh, to me, is a bit ridiculous, and it just goes back to the fundamental point, no matter what you think about the, the net right now. The properties that are involved in this, when you are only taking this small of a sample size, you are going to get some wonkiness. There's going to be what's called noise in the rankings. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's still going to exist a week from now. Let's get 60 70 80% into a season, and then if we really want to start chopping this thing off at the knees, I'm totally fine with it, but my suspicion is when we get to Selection Sunday, we're only going to have – Three, four, five outliers, significant ones, and from there, yes, we'll continue the discussion. General
0: Parrish, do you agree with that? Yes. I tweeted that. I think that by the time we get approach selection Sunday, we'll probably look up and it'll be it'll be mostly fine. I I, I I'm not going to get into an argument with Nate Silver about algorithms. <laughs> like you, you can you going for his throat. I can see it. Um, I can't wait to tweet tweet our podcast right at Nate Silver. Hey, Norlander said you don't. You really don't know what are you're. Gonna, are you gonna Are you gonna go narc right now? Is that what you're gonna do? I'm not gonna do that. I, I hate it when people do that to me. I'll say something about something on radio, and then they'll tweet it at the person I said it about, and then at, and at them. And I'm like, why would you do that? Like, it's yeah. fine if they hear it. I'm not shying away from it. I'm speaking publicly. But why are you so anxious to send uh, somebody a, 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 a not positive thing that yeah. I said about? It? Why are you so anxious to make sure Freak. another person yeah. hears that? Like, yeah. it, that's weird. That's a weird personality trait that you get off yeah, on. Yeah, no, whatever. So, yeah. No. Oh, I, so I yeah. I would not do that. I'm no, not No, but drawing. I respect a
1: lot of when it does, but I'm I'm not running from this. What he right. said was
0: over the top and it was wrong. It's not the
1: worst ranking ever and uh, frankly it just it, it was way too harsh of a reaction. I was a little bit surprised that he was that aggressive with it right off the bat when he knows more still has to
0: come. That's all. Um no, I think you and I are mostly on the same page there, although I I don't know. I I am assuming it I, I'm assuming one thing that Nate said was he doubts it'll get much better with time. I, I'm I think I, I again I'm not gonna argue with Nate Silver about algorithms. I don't know. But I'm assuming that it will get it'll look more sensible over over time. And as for disparities between Sagarin, kinpom Net, whatever, um when it does come to computer rankings, and I know I cite them often, I don't get caught up on the the numbers one to two, two to three, four to five, whatever. Um like I couldn't even tell you – I know Duke's number one at Kimpom right now, but I really don't know the next – the order of the next few teams. And I look at that site multiple times a day. I, I only find I, – what I use computer ratings for is not to figure out what team's seventh and what team's eighth. It's just a grouping tool. I think if, if the same 30 teams are roughly in the top 30 and the next 30 are roughly in the same group – um, then, then that's fine with me. I don't, I don't care who's 27 and who's 33. Like, I, I want to use it as a grouping tool and have it paint a, a pretty basic picture of these teams are supposed to be the best in the country in some order. Here's the next batch in some order, and we can debate the order, but it should just be a, a, a relatively good grouping tool, and. There's no way Loyola Marymount should be tenth right now in any sort of ranking of basketball teams. But I understand mm-hmm. that it's it's such a small sample size that that's what it spit out. Um, my my issue at this moment, because I don't, you know, because we'll see. My issue at this moment is not with the algorithm. My issue is with the decision to release it when they did, because I just fundamentally think it was not. A smart thing to do And I want to be clear about this uh, It It's not a smart decision Dan Kavis is a smart guy Like a really smart and thoughtful guy He's a great hire by the NCAA I just think that this wasn't This wasn't thought through well The release And simply releasing it after Thanksgiving Because that's the way you always release the RPI uh, I, I've said this in all walks of life Doing something simply because you've always done it A certain way is never good enough for me Like if that's the only reason you got to do it then, that ain't, then let's come up with some more. And here, I don't know that you could have come up with any more compelling ones. There would not have been some backlash of of, of release the net or else NCAA. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. And that's why they should have just held on to it, kept it private until it looked more sensible, until Kansas was in the top ten and Loyola Marymount wasn't. That's my only yeah, point.
1: No, we're, we're basically on the same page there. We'll see how it evolves. Um, we'll have plenty to get – like trust me th- we'll get into this continually throughout the season it is a fascinating uh, topic uh and i'm i'm intrigued to see how this works and uh, NCAA is going to be in some uh, some hot water here if, if this continues. Um, and we have, like, serious problems. Like, continually, like, just teams popping up in the 30s that have no business being in the 80s, let alone the 30s. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on it, and uh, we'll see what happens. Got some good hoops, though, coming up Wednesday night, Thursday. And uh, we, we still got one more pod coming later this week. Uh, so be on the lookout.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And if you haven't already, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, preferably via Apple Podcasts. That is the simplest way uh, to get the latest episodes as soon as possible. They will, like, actually just pop right up on your phone. You'll get, like, a notification, like, yo, Gary and Matt are back with another episode of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Plus, it helps us if you subscribe and if you rate it favorably. Um, The podcast is... I don't know if trending is the right word, but it, it's popping up on all of these lists about the best college, not necessarily best, but most listen to college sports podcast, regardless of sport. Uh, just about every time we, we uh, publish a new episode, it, it shoots right up to the top or at least in the top three. And so that's been a cool thing to see. And um, it's a byproduct of you guys doing what I'm asking you to do, which is subscribing and rating it favorably, needing, uh, 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 leaving nice comments. So thank you for doing that. If you haven't done it yet, uh, please go do that. We're going to talk to you again on Friday. Till then, take care.